Hello, deconstruction community. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, a show that gives a platform for people to share their stories of surviving toxic religious environments. As a trigger warning, a lot of topics on this show will revolve around religious trauma, mental health, and spiritual abuse. Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Fledger, and today my guest is Christopher Aker. He grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, and in 2010, he attended a house church for eight years. And then for the last few years, he attended an Anglican church. And before um, him and his wife were asked to leave the ministry, how are you doing today, Christopher? Doing pretty well. I'm glad to be here to speak with you, Andrew. And so, you know, as we get into the interview, it, you know, this show is about personal stories. So for the first question, um, if you could tell me about your experiences growing up in the Southern Baptist Church. Sure. I, I like to say that I've had been going to church since nine months before I was born. Um, you know, my my parents have been in church before I was born, and I went from, you know, from the day I was born all the way um, through, I think I finally ended up leaving Southern Baptist Church, well, in 2010 when I joined that house church, but um, back, back up way back, and uh, it, it was, uh, you know, it was basically life for our family. I didn't know anything else besides going to church. And in those days, this was in the 80s, um, we went to church on Sunday morning, we went to the Sunday evening service, we went to the Wednesday evening prayer meeting, um, and I did all of the youth activities when I became a youth. I did, um, I was in children's choir and handbell choirs and um, the, the youth group and the music ministry and on lots of different ways. Um, pretty much my mom, if there was an opportunity for me to get involved in anything. She encouraged me to do it, if not, you know, required me to do it. So um, it was basically my life. And, and I, as the first child, um, I, I was just very compliant. I never questioned anything. I just kind of accepted what authority figures told me and I accepted it as fact. Um, and I never I just, I, I was, I was a curious child in other ways, but when it became, when it came to the, the faith of the Christian faith, I don't, I just didn't question it. Um, it was just life and truth. And, and, um, and it was kind of, you know, I, I was, I would have been considered the model Christian child growing up. I did Bible drill. That's another activity my mom put me in. Um, and so lots of, um, lots of things. I did all the right things and checked off all the right boxes of being a good Christian boy. And, um, and, and, and I even tried to go to the seminary a few times to, because I thought maybe God was calling me into the ministry in, in some way. Um, it, I never ended up finishing any of those seminary degrees, but uh, I did kind of try to go down that road a few times. And so it sounds like there was a lot of pressure 
to conform to this standard. And, you know, sadly, growing up in this environment, part of adapting is conforming because, you know, you want to please your parents. It's natural for a child to want to do that. And as human beings, we want to fit into our social group. And, you know, it's not always a conscious thing that we notice when we adapt. For some people it is, for some people it isn't. And I definitely relate to how you're talking about, uh, especially like really a lot to what you were saying, because, you know, you were, sounds like you were always at church and the doors were open basically. Mm-hmm. And with the Bible drill stuff, like my church, we have master clubs, that's what it was called. And we had regionals every year. And so that was just a competition of different Bible games that yeah that makes exactly what what i did and i was oh that is uh, me too i was was like i was like first place in most of those competitions i knew my stuff i knew my bible and yeah i could find any verse in any book and yeah it it was i mean because my mom was was really serious about it she drilled it into me when she worked with me on all those memory verses and it was um yeah and it's funny because my she didn't do any of that really with my brother who was four years younger than I am but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just funny now that I think about it yeah she really really wanted me to to do all that stuff so like do you think she saw a part of herself and you or something and she wanted to kind of like create that dream or idea to a reality possibly or vicariously you know, living through you think, or something I think there's some truth to that yeah um I think, yeah, parents often do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she, I mean, she grew up also in a, a Southern Baptist church, but her dad was an atheist all growing up. So her mom was the one that kind of really drilled it in and, and got them all to church every day when she was growing up. But yeah, I don't know if, if that was, if that was it, or if she just, she just thought that I was, you know, she saw something in me that, that, um, said that well you know this this kid is really special and he's going to grow up to be a really strong man of God and do great things for the kingdom of God and uh it's just funny looking back on it now because yeah I'm I'm I don't know I I I feel like maybe I've done some things good for the kingdom of God but I'm definitely not the kind of person that she thought I would end up being (laughs) yeah I know what you mean because like there is a lot of pressure in these different homes and, you know, sometimes I, I think about it and I'm like, you know, did, did this, do our parents use this almost like the next Jesus or the next Isaac or something like that, this special thing that's going to be, you know, blessed in quotes by God or whatever. And so, and I think, you know, Christian parents, when they have children, I think, I think children in general, though, can give parents a purpose, but you know, especially in Christian families, I think there's a whole other layer added onto that with the religion involved, because, you know, they actually believe that, you know, that, you know, God made um, you in the womb, like he had a special plan, he created a specific being and all this stuff. So like, there's a whole other thing onto it. So that's kind of, I guess, how my parents were, because they couldn't have children for years until they finally did. So they saw that as like a sign from God or something like that. And so that made them want to dedicate their children (laughs) even more to God, not even thinking about children having a free will or one day having a free will, at least. Right. Um, (laughs) And so, um, 
but yeah because like I I was really good at the bible drill stuff too like and you know if I didn't win like I would have felt so much shame like there was so much pressure to do it like there, there it felt like there was no other choice um really mm-hmm. and so just what was your what was your faith like then and what is your faith like now I'm just curious um I think my faith then was um I I believed because I was told to believe and uh, I was told what to believe and I did question I did not question that and so my faith was um, I would say it was it was simple in that I never I never questioned it and I never really examined it critically Um, but then you know fast forward in, into my um, mid, early to mid thirties, I guess. I'm 44, almost 45 now. So in my early thirties, I started to really question and think about some of the things that I was um, experiencing in the church. And like the very first thing that I started to wonder about um, was was um, like, how, how do we do church on Sundays? Like it, I went to a, a typical kind of mega church style um, was much more contemporary than the church I grew up in, but it was, you know, a big, big band and of which I also participated in that band. I played piano. Um, it was a band and lots of lights and, and you know, big show. And, and I started wondering, is this really what Jesus wanted for the church? I mean, this, this seems like it doesn't really seem like it's really doing anything for the world it's just kind of a big show and a and like a big um country club kind of atmosphere and and that's really what started the questioning process and I started thinking this can't be what God really wanted for the church um and and I started really kind of um longing for something more intimate and family-like um and and right around maybe, you know, a couple of years into that process of wondering, questioning, I moved from Georgia to Tennessee and I ended up within a couple of years meeting um, my wife, who would, the lady who would become my wife at the time, and she was going to a house church. And I thought, wow, God, you just really brought me exactly what I wanted. I mean, you've brought me a, a great woman to get married to. And then also she's in a house church. This is um, perfect, you know? And, and so I started going to the house church with them. And I think the eight years in that house church was, um, was a period of, of intense wondering and questioning. And I consider it my Baptist detox period. Um, it was like eight years of, of really, you know, strong uh, questioning. And, and it really did kind of let me see what, what a good, true, loving community of believers could look like. Um, so, so those eight years, um, were instrumental and really formative for me. Um, but then I also started questioning other really core doctrines of the faith during that time as well, like, um, like the doctrine of eternal conscious torment and hell and, um, the Trinity and universal salvation and things like that. I started wondering and reading about and so as I uh, began reading more about that, um, 
I started, you know, really deconstructing even more of what I believed when I was growing up. Um, and, and so while I believe those, those eight years were, were just what I needed, um, it also kind of led me down that path of, of deconstruction because I didn't have, um, I didn't have that structure of the Southern Baptist Church telling me what to believe. So I started, had, I had the freedom, I guess, to question other things. And so it was really, it was just what I needed to, to really start to, to come to conclusions on my own. And, um, and then as the, uh, after about eight years of, of being in that house church, um, the house church eventually disbanded um, amicably, but, but it still disbanded because the pastor was uh, having some health issues. And we all decided that it was probably best that we all go our separate ways. Um, so we did. And um, my wife and I started going to an Anglican church at the time. Um, and at first the Anglican church was really good. And I was really, I was really glad that we were there. Um, the, the liturgy every Sunday and the prayer book was really meaningful to me at first. Um, but then I just started really questioning even more things like the place of clergy in, in the church. Like, why do we even need a clergy class of Christians? And um, why do we need, a, uh, you know, all of these liturgical bells and whistles and things that it just seems like it it's taking the place of what the church really should be doing, which I think is being the hands and feet of Christ and serving the needs of the oppressed and the marginalized and being the loving presence that we need in the world, which I saw the church was not at all doing. Um, not that particular church in, in particular, but the church overall was not really doing. And, and while we were at that Anglican church, I began uh, meeting with one of the priests as um, in a spiritual direction kind of relationship and so I would meet with him once a month and just help he, I would talk with him about things I was thinking about and, and questioning and and he would always kind of push back on some of these questions I was having about when I was really doubting certain core doctrines of the church he would always push back and say well you know this is what the bible says and the church is, has believed this for 2,000 years it's a settled thing you know you can't really I mean can't question it but um he was kind of pushing back on some things in that in that in those meetings but it wasn't until um around easter of uh, 2000 that i posted something on facebook about what i was what i believed about um, universal salvation and someone else in the church saw it and went to him that priest and questioned it and and then at that point, that's when um, that priest kind of betrayed my trust and, and turned on me instead of being a trusted person to go to once a month and talk about things that I was really struggling with and in the faith. He turned on me and, and became my accuser and um, brought in other, another priest in the church and they had to bring in the bishop and my wife and I had to come and talk to them and we had a really tense um, adversarial conversation with them and they were very staunchly opposed to anything that we were we said that we believed and and my wife was was not exactly in the same place I was theologically on some things but she stood by me because we are a, a unit you know we're we're together and 
um, by the end of that meeting, which was really tense and, and stressful, they were they told us that um, we could no longer be involved in any of the ministries that we had been a part of in that church because they didn't trust our doctrines and they didn't believe that we were safe to be um, be around other people in the church, you know, because they didn't want those people to get um, to get any thoughts about other things that they might have doubts on. So it was it was tough. Like I said, it was around Easter of 2020, which was like already already into the pandemic. We were we were already on lockdown from the pandemic early in the pandemic, which was already stressful. And we had um, also had a, a single mother and their two children living with us at the time because they were a few months earlier. They had almost become homeless and we decided to let them move in with us. So that stress on top of the pandemic stress on top of the church. I just said, forget it. We can't deal with this church anymore. And we are not coming back. We will not, we will not return. Um, of course, at the time we had no idea when people would be able to return to church anyway, because of the pandemic. So we said, we're not coming back. Whenever they say we can go back to church, we're not going. And so we just cut them off and, and they, um, also cut us off. They didn't ever reach back out to us ever again. It was really stressful. It was, it was really tough. Um, lots of sh tears were shed and. Yeah. So like, I'm just curious, could you give more details about like what you posted on Facebook that really bothered them? Yeah, I can give you some details. What I said was, um, I think I posted it on Good Friday and I said, you know, we have got to stop making God out to be the bad, um, the bad guy here. And um, God was not punishing Jesus on the cross. He was, um, you know, Jesus was, um, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. And, and that includes everybody. Everybody's included. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to repent and you don't have to do any kind of, you know, baptism or whatever to be included in God's love um, and saving work. And they didn't like that. They said, what do you mean you can't, you don't have to repent. Of course you have to repent before you can be forgiven. And of course you have, you know, this, this doesn't include everybody. And, um, you know, only if you've repented and been baptized. And, and so that was really the, the, the thing that, um, that, that broke the camel's back, I think. And, and also in that meeting that we had with the priests, they brought up another Facebook post that, where I had just shared a, another article about um, how some of the words in the Bible that have been translated as homosexuality were translated wrongly. And, and that has completely changed public opinion about the issue and um, that we need to, we need to just, you know, wipe this, this slate clean and go back to, thinking about, you know, everyone as, as people and equal under God's eyes. And so they also didn't like that because um, this particular church was very conservative. So, yeah, it was rough. Yeah, because it's interesting because um, I've thought about the anger that people have around having to believe that like you don't have to do anything involving getting saved because I grew up in a fundamentalist church and it was heavily communicated or what they believed at least is that 
you don't automatically get a ticket to heaven. Like you have to follow these steps or say this stupid prayer or something. Mm -hmm. And then you're saved. But then again, it's interesting because then they tell you, okay, now you've done this and now you're, you're secured a spot in heaven and it, it can't be taken away from you. But then they'll be like, but if you do this, this, and this, this may be signs that you're not saved, you're going to heaven. So <laughs> there's always doubt that they throw around. And I think the reason a lot of people hate the idea of the belief that like, you know, you don't have to do anything. It's like, people can't control you. People can't exactly. control you at all. And so of course that makes mm -hmm. them mad because they're like, then they can't hold sin over you. They can't make you feel bad about everything that you do. They can't guilt you into like tithing or giving money to the right. church or even coming to church. Yes. Um, because- It is a big control mechanism. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so- yeah, that's interesting, too, because even about the homosexuality stuff is like that took me years after well, when I was in deconstruct when I was deconstructing to find that out. And like, it's hard to wrap your brain around when you've been like programmed, really indoctrinated mm -hmm. to believe that, you know, the Bible is absolutely perfect. There are no mistakes. But then when you actually do your own research and you find out about like translations and how they can be really iffy and not so reliable. Um, it kind of like just cracks the foundation of the whole inerrancy um, position of the Bible because if those people admitted, oh, they translated this wrong. Oh yes, mm -hmm. then then that comes to them, it opens up a door of like, okay, what else right. is translated incorrectly? And to them, again, it's about that control. Yeah. Um, again, yeah. Yeah, I was always, brought up to believe that as you said the bible is perfect it's inerrant therefore we must we have to read the bible to learn what to believe about x y or z and that should then inform how we interact with other people and live in the, and live in the world but that it's i i totally think that's backwards now you know i think we we need to observe the world around us and the reality that we experience um, and that should then tell us how god is like and then that should we can then take that back to the bible and say all right does the bible line up with reality around me and if it does then okay and then maybe i can hang on to that part of the bible but if it doesn't match my reality that i'm seeing every day and experiencing every day then i need to say okay well maybe the bible's wrong in that regard yeah and like and again it's like these people really want and really cling onto certainty mm -hmm. and they have this absolute absolutist black and white concrete and simple thinking towards everything mm -hmm. and so if there's even a suggestion that there's something wrong in the bible it's like their whole world falls apart the whole worldview and it's like it crumbles it's all built on that it's all built on it and so yeah. because there's so much onto that there's so much to lose when those i mean i guess there's really a lot of emotional like instability i feel right. like that happens around that and so that's why they want to basically put themselves in this environment where everyone agrees with them, everyone conforms, because then you're like, okay, like they agree. And when you surround yourself with people who are exactly like you and you're believing and saying the same things over and over, you're just gonna convince yourself that yeah. this thing is true and that 
it really just, I think it just gives so much people comfort through certainty and feeling safe because there's so much fear around like what happens when we die. And like, you know, the truth is none of us really, we, none of us really know what's going to happen. We have no proof. I mean, people can believe all they want to and they can say yeah. that they know, but like no one really knows for sure. And that's the scary right. thing to a lot of people deep down inside, inside somewhere. I think a lot of people do know that. So of course, when someone comes along um, to question that, it's like this little monster that comes out of the darkness and they're like, no. So like they're projecting their worries and their anxieties onto you and calling you out as the bad guy. And I think, I think it's interesting how, you know, I haven't really studied church history yet. Like once I heal religious trauma, I feel like I'll eventually get into that. But I have a friend who is into philosophy and he's into church history. And he would tell me about how many times church doctrine has changed, mm -hmm. readjusted throughout all the years. And it really shocked me because it's not something that I ever looked into. And yeah. so like, if, you know, if the church has changed its mind so many things, like who are we to say that we're exactly right about this? Right, exactly. The church has been all over the place on yes. fill in the blank doctrine. It's been all over yeah. the place. It has, and so, uh, mm -hmm. and yeah, like, there's. Go ahead. I don't. No, no, no. You go. No, you're good. Um, I don't know if you've heard of um, a scholar named Bart Berman. Um, he has a book. Um, I can't remember the name of it now, but it's all about all the different Christianities that existed in the first couple of centuries after Jesus. Like there was, I mean, countless numbers of of beliefs about whatever doctor, whatever idea you wanted to think about, people had no consistency. And, but it was, you know, somehow over time, certain ideas won out over others and became the dominant beliefs. And, and, you know, uh, people like to say, well, that's because, you know, that was God directing that and the Holy Spirit making, solidifying that belief because it's the right one. No, no, no. That's because the people in power can write the rules. That's how it works. And it's always worked that way in, in history, in any civilization. The people in power write the history and decide what's right and decide what's wrong. So, you know, I think we're giving a little bit too much credit to, to the Holy Spirit here. I mean, it's just power. <laughs> yes. And even like looking a little bit into Cause like for me in my deconstruction journey, there were so many questions and things that I had. And I just really started going really, cause it was interesting cause I started out deconstructing and then I eventually several years later, I deconverted um, to heal religious trauma and work through that. Because to me, or from my experience, like growing up in fundamentalist Christianity, like it was such a weight onto me. Mm -hmm. It was so toxic, so harmful. There was nothing it was like a parasite that was attached to me, basically, psychologically. I understand. And it was something that like, I have to like, is there actually, it's like really, I feel like a lot of us do like a cost benefit analysis type thing of like, is this actually worth it? And really mm -hmm. trying to get to know ourselves, like what do, what do I actually believe? Like, why do I believe this? Is it because I was told this my entire life and I was indoctrinated 
and I did it to be accepted or to fit in or to not cause trouble or because it made me feel secure, it gave me comfort um, mm -hmm. and not to worry about certain things. And you're a group of people yeah, to mm -hmm. be a part of a, cult, a community, a, a community, a, a clan, you know, to be, a, yeah. to feel mm -hmm. a part of. And that, that's yeah. important. Yeah, it is. And like religion does meet a lot of human needs. So like, you know, community, that's one of the needs that it meets. And like certainty is another like psychological need mm -hmm. uh, that people have that it meets. Um, and the fear of death, that's another thing it can um prevent kind of like put that aside or relieve that so i'm trying to, I, you know i've read a lot about the psychology of especially fundamentalism so i'm trying to think of like other things that that book talked about kind of regarding needs um i'm trying to think what else i know community certainty and like it's interesting though because we also have a need for uncertainty too <laughs> because if we always have certainty and like, there's no kind of spontaneity in life. Like life gets so boring. We need something different to happen every once in a while, or we just, we get so burnt out doing the same thing over and over. And I, you know, I'm, I've been curious to research into like maybe specific personality types in these different religions and just seeing how that correlates with what they believe and what they get out of it. Um, because I feel like in fundamentalism, I personally notice uh, a lot of people who were just very rigid, very rigid personalities, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, not not very happy <laughs> people, very stressed out, very uptight, and yeah. really like honestly, like I really, I honestly, I call fundamentalists the modern day Pharisees, because um, yeah. that's what I feel like they are, and that's that's really what I've seen a lot in Christianity. And you know, when you know, when I officially announced that I left Christianity, people were like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you're not gonna be like Christ. And I'm like, y'all have never been about Christ ever. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's the issue. So, so now you care about Christ? <laughs> it's yeah. like, no, like, and you know, for me, it's like when I finally realized <clears throat> that I don't have, I don't have to follow this checklist. I don't have yeah. to do all these things in order to like be like Christ. I can still follow Christ example and you know still do have other spirituality or believe whatever I want. And like to me, I don't I don't really care if Jesus existed or not. <laughs> like um because there's very I don't there's very little historical proof for that anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the more you learn about it, the more you realize. Yeah, it's 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 very likely um, a mishmash of all kinds of mythological stories. Yes, and mm -hmm. that's um, boy, man. If you say that to the fundamentalist, they <laughs> their head will explode. Yeah, because like that was another thing that completely blew my mind was when I began studying mythology and the parallels with the Bible, and I was just really shocked with how many. Bible stories or rehashed from path mythology. And so for me, I could have taken it as, oh, this is all bullshit. I'm not going to, okay, fine, forget it. But for me, I've been trying to learn, okay, what can we learn from mythology in general? Like, what was the mm -hmm. point of this? And mm -hmm. so, you know, my, I talked to my guardians about mythology and they're like, Andrew, they're like, mythology was never supposed to be taken literally. Right. It's supposed to be taken figuratively and there are lessons behind all this mythology to help us get through life. 
but because you know as doctrines change and as social groups and humanity really evolved and people need to figure out how to control people how to have structure in society um how to have law and order basically figuring out Mm -hmm. how to do that and so it's interesting because i haven't read this book yet but it's a book about how basically the conspiracy of like modern Christianity and how um, the Roman empire, um, it was just basically used and created Jesus to control people, to emotionally and psychologically um, manipulate people into like, cause really when I, when I deconstructed, I'm like, oh my gosh, a lot of these teachings really like benefit the rich and the empower and mm-hmm. all the poor people are just silent be happy with what they get because they're going to have mm-hmm. a nice afterlife and it's interesting too because it slams rich men a lot in the bible and i'm like okay is this happening so that the poor people can be like huh we're really better than you rich people because we're going to heaven <laughs> who cares about your riches it's really like i felt like a total yeah. like manipulation thing of like yeah. to keep poor people into line to keep the rich in power really and you know there are some good teachings in the bible i feel like they help with life but then again the things that are helpful i feel like a lot of them are just common sense mm-hmm. and i think like well, you know also through life experience really i think a exactly. lot of things yeah <laughs> and a lot of the um the teachings that jesus or, or at least were uh recorded as jesus saying mm-hmm. whether that's true or not um are very similar to the similar to the teachings that buddha mm. taught yeah and that confucius taught yeah you know four or five hundred years before jesus mm-hmm. and and the greek philosophers taught mm-hmm. and yes so, you know all this stuff just gets rehashed over and over throughout yeah history mm-hmm. and you know and then later after jesus muhammad came along and he taught a lot of the same things and and then, and uh, you know, I so I think Richard Rohr t- calls this idea the perennial tradition. It's just these truths that just keep coming back out over and over throughout history in different cultures, in different ways, and in different geographies. And um, you know, like uh, Buddha and, and Confucius, Buddha did it in India, in India, and Confucius did it in China, and then Jesus did it in first century Palestine and then Muhammad did it and you know the Arab areas and 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 all these people just kind of say the same thing when you really boil it all down and so that doesn't make one any better than the other so yeah that's that's interesting because like for me exploring different religions um has kind of been a part of this new stage in my life and like not really I'm not really looking for like I don't think there's such thing as like one answer or like one way of life. I think what works for you works for you and what's healthiest for you. And, you know, like right now, like, you know, Buddhism, they don't have like an official like book, but like they have like, they have Buddhist scriptures. And thankfully there have been people who have compiled them together and put them into different volumes and books. So like I have one of those books and I've been, kind of reading through it just curious about their own teachings and like some of them are really triggering because 
Buddhism has different levels of hell and di different, basically, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and, you know, to me, like deconstructing hell and is something that I think will take a long time because even though rationally, like I don't believe in hell at all. And I just talked about the Bible's literal place, but because you've been indoctrinated like in an unconscious or a subconscious level, like it's in there, like oh, yeah. it jumps yeah, out. It's in your DNA now. It's like, it's hard. You can, you can yeah. take the, the, you know, you take yourself out of church, but it's hard to take church out of yourself. Sometimes. Oh yes. Um, mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I understand. And uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I agree that you said that you deconverted and I think that's the best place to be for a lot of people to start out or at least to deconstruct all the way back to complete deconversion or atheism whatever you want to call it and if you want to reconstruct into something that's a good starting point you don't have to though mm -hmm. you can stay there and that would yeah. be a perfectly fine place mm -hmm. to be for the yeah. rest of your life mm -hmm. yeah because like I've had different people ask me about how to deconstruct and I'm like well I'm like there's not like a black and white guide to it there's not one right. way to do it like and this was that's the hard thing I guess for people leaving these environments is they people have always given them this answer and then they come out of it they're like all right give me an answer to this and like mm -hmm. and like you know I've helped guide people I'm like okay I'm like these are questions and things you should look into but like I'm not going to give you any answers to them because mm -hmm. I've I've learned that as I've left and like, you really can't, you can give someone all the evidence in the world and all the logic and all the proof, but if they want to believe something else, they're going to believe something else, if it emotionally mm -hmm. benefits them. So to me, it's like, you know, I'm like, you ask, you ask, you know, I I've usually send people a few, several general like questions that you can prove on your own and through your own research, if you, if you want to do that. Um, like, for example, like, you know, digging into mythology and comparing it with the Bible, looking into mm -hmm. inerrancy, which is things I tell people a lot. And I'm telling yeah. them, I'm like, also, I'm like, study church history, like, learn about how these doctrines have changed. But a lot of people are scared to do that because then that makes everything so uncertain. And a lot yeah. of people want that certainty. So it's like, for me, only a person can make that decision themselves to get to risk having that uncertainty and handling that. Right. Um, and so that's kind of what I do with people. And I tell them, I'm like, you know, and like, if you want to leave your faith, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. If you want to go to another religion, that's fine. Or if you want to create your own thing, that's fine. <laughs> create your own religion. I don't know, but yeah. it's what's best for you. And like, yeah. that's hard for people to get around because in this environment, we're told Jesus is the way, like Jesus is the life and all this stuff. And so this is, Jesus is the only and the one way. And so trying to get out of that mindset of one way for everyone um, it's really difficult and it's just it's been interesting to see thankfully in our society like it's finally acceptable for people to openly question like you know a long time ago a lot of us would have been like burned at the stake <laughs> oh yes for doing these things uh, exactly. because they had so much control over people and they were in just saturated into society and I know you know even in different cultures, when the religion loses its power, they hate that. And we see mm -hmm. that now in America with, you know, Trump and Christian nationalism trying to mm -hmm. use politics to get back into control and to saturate that environment yep. again. And some of the things I've heard certain politicians say 
um, about religion in America. Um, and I'm thinking, I'm like, you should not be in office um, because I, I can't remember, I cannot remember who this was, but I remember some government official in DC saying that they wanted to make a law to mandate that people go to church every week. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, are you serious? Like, this is yeah. America. Like, that's clearly not in the constitution at all. Right. And against like people's free will of choice, period. And like, if yep. that ever happened, I would be like, the churches would be t- torn down. Like, yep. <laughs> that was yep. what happened. Well, <laughs> you know, what we're seeing is, is um, in, in any situation when you have a majority group that has historically been in power, start to lose its power, they're gonna start fighting it tooth and nail. And they're gonna they're gonna fight back. They're gonna use whatever tools that they can find at their disposal to fight back and try to claw back that power that they're losing. And that's exactly what we see happening with the church in the, in the United States. Um, I think that's what we seeing we're seeing with um, overall with white people um, because black people are being empowered more now than ever. And so you have this entire backlash against Black Lives Matter. And, um, and it's because, you know, the historical group in power is losing power and they don't like it. And that's what's happening with the church. And like, they, like you said, they're going to try to use politics. They're going to use the laws, whatever they can to um, solidify their power. Oh, yes, most definitely. Um, and so I'm just curious, like in the beginning of your deconstruction journey, what was like I know it's probably hard to remember that but like what was the first thing you felt like you questioned in general it was the um the way we did church um okay you know mm-hmm. it was like the big mega church kind of thing mm-hmm. um like my 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 deconstruction took I would say that I'm probably mostly finished like I if you can say that you finished deconstruction I'm probably cl- pretty close to the end but um, I think it's probably something that's going to be a lifetime thing. But my con- this process has happened for over the last, like the last 15 years of my life. So it's, it's been um, a slow and gradual process. And um, it wasn't until the last two years after we left that Anglican church that things really kicked into high gear. Um, before that, it was just very cautious. I was still very cautious about questioning things because I was still actively involved in, in Christian church in different ways. And so I just didn't feel the freedom to, to really dive too deeply into things. But after we left the church, man, and, you know, there was, it, there was no, nothing holding me back. Essentially. I was just, I started questioning this and that, and, and you know, I gave up on the Trinity. I gave up on the deity of Jesus. I gave up, you know, and, and question, even if God exists and, um, and so, you know, now I, I'm at a place where I think there's definitely not a big man in the sky kind of power, powerful, sovereign deity that I used to believe in. I, I don't believe that's that exists, but there's still something there that I that I feel like um, I don't think that it's, that it's like controlling anything, but it's like you know, um, Paul Tillich said, God is the ground of our being. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe this is, you know, there's mm-hmm. just this ultimate spiritual force that connects us all together. Mm-hmm. Humans, all living things, 
yeah. anything that, mm-hmm. in the universe. Um, uh-huh. Just connects yeah. us all together. So it's like this impersonal force yeah. or energy that exists everywhere yeah. that makes everything or gives everything life and energy. Life. Exactly. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we are aware of it. And mm-hmm. I think when that happens, like we think, oh, you know, there's there's something bigger than me here. And, and mm-hmm. maybe that's what we could call an experience of God. Most of the time we're not, uh, you know, not aware of it because we're just yeah. doing our thing and mm-hmm. living our lives and not yeah. aware of the, the transcendent mm-hmm. realm. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's interesting because I think it was Abraham Piper, which I think it's an interesting to see John Piper's son deconstruct online, <laughs> but it's so fun. Um, but he just recently shared a video, and I think it's kind of gone viral kind of in the deconstruction community, but he was talking about when someone asks you, do you believe in God? And he's like, that's a very unfair question, because first he's like, how do you define God? Yeah. Like, what's your definition of God? He's like, you know, he's like, first, yes, there's so many ways that people have like understood, you know, some people call it God, some people call it the force or the way or just life or life source, or some people just, you know, some people who are in science who are agnostic, are like, oh, it's just the energy of the world. Like, you know, it's, it's just interesting to know that everything in the world is vibrating at some level, even Mm -hmm. like our bodies, um, even like, you know. Um, the material of like wood or something like you don't think of it because you don't see it but on a molecular level things are like vibrating there's some kind of energy um everywhere i have have an experience that i think um demonstrates this um let's think it's 2022 now so about a year ago um my grandmother was my final my last grandparent um living was on her deathbed and and we knew that she was going to be dying at any time Mm-hmm. And my wife and I were out um, doing something that evening. And at some point that evening, I was suddenly overcome with intense emotion, mm. thinking that, that I was losing my grandmother. Oh, wow. And I didn't know that she, whether she was dying or not. I later learned she was dying that mm. night. She died that night. And, and you know, there's, there's a, a line in, um, in Star Wars where um, I think it's Obi-Wan Kenobi says there was this disturbance in the force mm. and he could feel you know yeah when the death star or something was when, wow. when alderaan was exploded and yeah there is something to this i could feel yeah mm-hmm. in my spirit yeah my grandmother passed yeah yeah because you had that connection yes with her and then you could feel that like life source yes. of her go yeah that's interesting because you know for me i would identify myself as agnostic Cause like, I definitely believe in some kind of higher, higher power. Do I believe any religion has gotten it right? And what it is? No, I don't believe. Right. I don't think any religion has gotten it right. We've guessed about what this thing is and people have used this uncertainty to take advantage of different people and try to like put a mask onto what this thing is basically, because right. for me, like, that's kind of how I see, like, I guess you would say like Buddha, Jesus, and all these other Muhammad, maybe like it's a different mask. Oh, sorry, not Muhammad, like Allah. Sorry, Allah. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a different name or different mask for an energy yeah. force. But then again, like I should look at these scriptures and be like, okay, like what is actually like a lot of it? I see man using some kind of unknowable outside source to justify violence. 
to yeah. take over <laughs> and um just for conquests and different things mm -hmm. so i'm like okay so they're using this is just interesting and so mm -hmm. for yeah. me and it's still happening today it is still happening yeah yeah it's like but the thing with ukraine and how like the russian mm -hmm. orthodox church is like justifying that and saying how mm -hmm. oh ukrainians are evil god is punishing them like this is okay like it's just so messed yeah. up to me and the january 6th insurrection oh, of the capital mm -hmm. was also you know supported by evangelical <laughs> yes. christianity mm, <laughs> yes and like for me you know i really love psychology and you know it's something i've been studying um, as I've been finishing up my bachelor's degree. But for me, I began digging into psychology to heal, help heal my religious trauma and to really know myself and to understand other people too. Um, especially like understanding like the psychology of religion. And then I discovered Carl Jung, which I have just become obsessed <laughs> with, honestly. <laughs> Um, because he's he was just such a brilliant human. I think he's he is very famous, but I feel like he needs more attention because like it took me a long time to finally read his work, but I feel like no one talks about him enough. But it was yeah. just incredible to me because he was agnostic and he had so many different, like I guess you would say like unexplainable or spiritual experiences, but he didn't conform or believe in Christianity. It was so interesting to me is like he grew up in a very oppressive religious household his father was like uh, i think a preacher or i can't remember if it was like a priest or clergy or whatever something like that had a spiritual role and i think like he noticed his father was struggling with his faith and i think his mother had i can't remember what his mother believed it was something a bit different it was more like liberating and freeing than like an orthodox way of religion but it was interesting because he would have these, there's one dream that he talked about that he had as a boy that just totally stood up to him, stood out to him. And I'm trying to remember it exactly, but like, he, he was like in this beautiful, like, I guess you would say ornate, ornate or Catholic like church or Catholic church. Cause like the Catholic churches are just gorgeous. The architecture yeah. and everything's amazing. So it was just this incredibly beautiful church. And I think like the ceiling was like glass or something. And mm. it's just this beautiful um, altar. And it's funny because like he didn't say it in his terms, but this is what happened. A big pile of shit falls through the ceiling <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I'm like wow. what <laughs> and to him that communicated how perverted the church has become yeah. and how it has destroyed these beautiful ideas and just used it really against people wow but <laughs> what, what I know <laughs> I was like okay well all right yeah. that's interesting but um what's There's been crazy <laughs> yeah there really is a lot in it and um it's interesting because i've had i've been learning a different way to i guess you would say interpret especially like the bible and what these people experience in the bible because looking in context we have to understand these people do not have science anything that was not explainable was spiritual 
Right. That's just what they did. And so looking that into context about certain things and like, and as I've actually researched psychedelics and how people have had different like visions or dreams or hallucinations of things. And, you know, people have theorized that a lot of these visions in the Bible, that these guys were high off of psychedelics, but didn't know it. And they interpreted those feelings as spiritual or transcendent because that's the way they felt and didn't have any other way to explain it. And what was interesting, I think it's in the book, I think it's right here. It's called Sacred Knowledge. And it's about psychedelics and religious experiences. And this scientist in the book was talking about how it's been proven that, you know, through like um, excavations, they've found proof of like psychedelic plants that mm-hmm. existed around in Israel around the Bible yeah, time. So surprised me one bit. And so I was like, oh, well, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and so, you know, I could just talk about Carl Jung for hours, so, but I'm not. <laughs> so I, all I'm going to say is that through reading a lot of his work and how he studied mythology, um, to him, what he realized was that everyone is called the collective unconscious because he was trying to explain how every single culture could have exactly the same stories now same blueprint basically of the same stories but how we didn't interact with one each other or could have passed that on that we all were like separated in our corners and we all had these ideas and so you know he had this um theory which you know he you know you can't literally prove it but through just seeing people's experiences and how he's theorized about it like we've seen it come to pass there's so much there's like we only know like like zero 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 point one percent about the mind and there's still so much we need to learn and like even in the last 50 years we've learned so much about the mind and psychology and like I can't even imagine in the next 50 years mm-hmm. what's going to happen as we keep on evolving in this knowledge but yeah. basically young realized that our mind our unconscious communicated to us through different symbols and things and so, and this would happen with certain states of mind, um, especially like psychedelic plants, for example, that was used a lot in, you know, past religion before like psychedelics were outlawed and all that stuff mm-hmm. and controlled. But like people had a lot of similar visions of seeing certain creatures or things. And okay. especially like in Revelation to some of these like weird ass yeah. <laughs> um, things with all these eyes and all these heads and stuff. And that's something that the church doesn't want people to know about. I don't think at all. Right. And um, but basically what Jung realized was that mythology was like he called it, I think, like psychic truth or something. It was mm-hmm. truth that we all had somewhere in our mind. And are, it's so interesting because basically I, th- I think really what I've concluded from reading a lot of Young was that he concluded that a lot of these stories and mythologies represents things that are actually going on inside of our minds, basically, if that makes sense, different energies and mm-hmm. different, because, you know, through psychology, 
people have discovered that we have different sub personalities or different parts of ourselves mm-hmm. if that makes sense not okay. like it's a not like it's a distinct personality but like different roles I guess you would say um so like for example like Freud he talks about the ego uh, the id and the super ego and different roles these things play yeah. so like the id is like it's all about pleasure it's all about I want I want I want and I think the ego is like more rational like you know, mm-hmm. if I were if I were doing homework, my id would say, "Oh my gosh, let's just fucking watch TV." I don't mm-hmm. want to do homework, but my ego would be mm-hmm. like, "Oh no, sorry." My super ego would be like, um, "No, like we have to say where to do this." And I'm trying to yeah. remember what the ego does. If it, I think the ego just tries to balance out <laughs> the yeah. two somehow, so there are these different things going on, different energies, and I guess you would say impulses yeah. going yeah. on in our minds, and so you know, people, like, I don't, I can only imagine how people dealt with their mental health issues before having any kind of science or psychology. Like, I can't even imagine. And, you know, I think also, like, there is, there are certain states of mind that people can get to that can just literally drive them mad. And the unconscious just completely comes out. And like Jung, he describes the unconscious as an ocean an endless mm-hmm. ocean and your consciousness is like a small cork in the ocean wow and so that's what he compared it to and i was like oh my gosh and so he 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 theorized that in these religions this unknowable force that was like expressed was really our unconscious because young young believed that her unconscious is more powerful like it's so underestimated but it's so mm-hmm. frustrating because he tried, he, he found different ways to explore his own unconsciousness. And he's written several books about it too. And it's just interesting because he talks about all these different mythology because especially about like things, finding things in the place that you would least expect it. And that's kind of like how he talks about the mind. He's like, our unconscious is the last place you would think about where God or part of God exists. Mm. And to me, like, I've, I have different theories about it. I'm like, okay, like, like you were saying about the interconnectedness, like, do we all have this energy cord strung into yeah. all of us connected to our unconscious and like yes. what's actually going on? Um, um, it's just crazy hey, to yeah. think about. A Benedictine monk named Meister Eckhart back in the, I don't know, seven or eight hundreds um, mm-hmm. AD said, um, he said, God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. Mm. And so that is kind of what you're getting at, you know, mm-hmm. that, that um, you know, this unconscious that's a part of us is connected mm-hmm. to everyone else. Uh-huh, that so is now. like where god resides and that mm-hmm. yeah you know and i don't think god is a separate thing from us no. that's just that mm-hmm. is what we call god yeah and, and you know mm-hmm. so god is yeah. closer to us than we are to ourselves mm-hmm. and like it's interesting mm-hmm. because i have all different kinds of ideas about things and like they'll probably change as i learn more and more but like mm-hmm. it was interesting because um Young wrote this very controversial book about Job or the answer to Job, I think is what it's called. Because yeah, it was very controversial because a lot of people had problems with the book of Job, but no one talked about it. 
And mm-hmm. Young's like, I'm just going to address this. And I had never seen anyone. Sorry, excuse me. I'd never seen anyone like, I never seen that perspective of Job or God or the Bible because mm-hmm. I've been indoctrinated for so long. But what, when, when Young analyzed the book of Job from a psychoanalytic perspective, and in his book, he's saying, he's like, this is, I'm not saying that this is, the way you have to see it. I'm like, this is just a way to consider the possibilities, you know, just think outside the box, mm-hmm. question the way we've been interpreting this. And so what he saw is he felt like the, you know, the God in the book of Job really wanted to become man, really. Mm. Um, he wanted, cause I think, um, Young kind of saw that as a foreshadowing, I guess you would say, of like Jesus, I guess you would say that would come along or whatever in the next book of like, or God or God becoming man. And the idea of a God man is not original either. Like that's been through mm-hmm. a bunch of mythologies too. So I feel like it's just a natural thing in our mythology that comes about mm-hmm. somehow. And that's what kind of yep. Young was trying to dig into why he's like, are we part, are there a part of God in us actually, like in everyone? Like that's kind of, mm-hmm. I think what he wondered about and you know it's interesting because when i think about it it seemed like i don't know if this is exactly true but as i'm trying to guess what young is thinking i guess i'm like because since young sees god representing the unconscious i'm like okay it's just representing how our unconsciousness is trying to become more conscious or balance out in our psyche or something is this what this actually means and like does the devil actually represent maybe like the id in us the thing that just wants to do pleasure and do this and this mm-hmm. and god is the unconscious and maybe the super ego is like i don't know god the father like what are these different things actually represent it was just interesting to look at it as these are forces in my mind that are battling yeah. or something That's so fascinating it's just so <laughs> fascinating to think about and so there's this recent book i got which i haven't read yet but it's called the ego and the archetype. And this, Mm. I think basically the book is, I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to soon about how this person tears into religion and mythologies and basically theorizes about what these things actually mean on a psychological level and what these things represent in our minds. Um, And so it's just, it's so incredible to think of it that way because it's like, imagine, if we try to actually understand things from different perspectives and how it can actually help our lives on a personal level, instead of being like, you have to do this way, you have to look at it this way. When, if we looked at it another way, we can maybe learn something from it and become better. But I think why people hated or Christians hated Young so much is that he really empowered people to have their own spiritual path really Mm -hmm. and and go on self-discovery where the church is like, no, like we want to tell you basically what to do, how to think, what to believe, um, how to feel. Um, yeah. So it's just, and then again, like, you know, we can we can talk about theories all we want, but, you know, we can't exactly prove any of it. <laughs> it's just cool right. to talk about. And just like, you know, I could, I could choose, I could choose to believe that, oh, God is just the unconscious, but I, I can't exactly prove that. I mean, mm-hmm. there are some ideas that it might represent it, but there's no proof beyond that because mm-hmm. we, we don't know. There's so much we don't, but it's cool to think about um, yeah. most definitely. Yeah. And, and, and neither can the 
you know, the evangelical fundamentalists no. prove that their God exists, you know, no. and, and they, they just do all kinds of mental gymnastics to, to <laughs> prove it. And yeah, I was just thinking the other day how they always have an, a way out. But like, if, you know, when they're think, talking about prayer, for example, Oh, I'm prayed for, you know, so-and-so to be healed and, mm-hmm. and they were. So, I mean, my prayer worked and, okay, well then if the alternative happened, I pray, you know, for so-and-so to get healed, yeah. but they didn't, God's they will. died. So it wasn't God's will. <laughs> so if they, if it worked, I mean, if, if, if they did get healed, then of course it was because I prayed. If they didn't mm-hmm. get healed, well, it's God's fault because it wasn't, you know? Yeah. So there's always a way out, you know? They're always yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't, it's such cognitive dissonance, really. Yes, they really do. Um, but I know we're, we're kind of getting towards the end um, of our interview. So like the last couple of questions, first I want to ask mm-hmm. what lessons have you learned along the way? And like the second question, like what advice would you have for people deconstructing? So at first you would start with what lessons, important, big yeah. important lessons you learn along the way. Hmm. I think that the, the important lessons that I've learned through this whole process of deconstructing and reassessing my faith is that um, to hold my beliefs with an open hand because if I look back on, you know, what I believed 15 years ago, I was, I was so certain about a lot of things back then. And then, so I, you know, I held on to those, those beliefs with a tight fist, but now I don't believe those. And I've, I've changed, I've grown, I've evolved in my faith so much in that time. And so I have to realize that now, even whatever I believe now, I still, I need to hold that with an open hand because I may continue to evolve. And I hope I do continue to evolve in what I believe about things. Um, when I think when you get to a point where you say, all right, it's settled. I believe it. This is the, you know, this is the truth. I'm not budging. Well, then you've lost the mystery of life and you've, you know, you've completely shut out any potential for growth and, 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 life and evolution and i mean the whole universe is just one big constant evolutionary organism so to shut out that is to is 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 a real shame so i hold my beliefs with an open hand now with the expectation that i'll just i may have to give them up one day and and change my mind so yeah that's the main lesson i think and Mm -hmm. your next question was about um advice what advice mm-hmm. yeah what advice um oh man well advice um i think i'm gonna have to get kind of get into a little bit of churchy god talk even though i don't really believe it much anymore um, because you know if i'm talking to someone who is still in the clutches of of Christianity and and the traditional fundamentalist beliefs this is kind of the language that I need to use but I would say trust that God has you in God's hand and is going to lead you to where God wants you to be and whether that's down a path of deconstruction or that's 
you know, even staying in whatever belief system you currently have, well, just trust that God is gonna gonna lead you. And and you know, if you start doubting, God is bigger than that. God doesn't. God is not surprised if you start doubting anything, even even if you start doubting God's own existence. I mean, if you really believe that God is bigger than as big as you think he is, then God's bigger than that and can handle it. So just, just trust. Um, so, you know, the disclaimer was, I don't really believe all that anymore. So, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I don't believe the, that there's this big plan or that, you know, God's leading my hand. And, um, but, you know, that's the language that I think people need to hear if they're still in that context, in that world. Yeah, and like I would definitely add on and say, um, you know, I've sadly seen so many people use religion to not take action mm -hmm. and to just sit on their asses and not do anything. Mm -hmm. So for people out there, like, listen to your mind and your body, because I know this is crazy for you to think about, like our body and our minds are communicating with us. Um, you know, your nervous system will tell you if a situation is safe or not, if a person is safe or healthy or not. So notice and get in touch with yourself. And I know that can be hard because you're taught to not trust yourself and you're taught, exactly. you're taught to not trust your heart or anything. So, and I realize too, that you can, there are times we can get pulled away by emotions. So what I say to that is try to balance out emotions and logic hand in hand together, because we're not robots. <laughs> we're not made to be robots. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, emotion is there for a reason and you're feeling things for a reason. They're not invalid, even though these environments invalidate them a lot. So, yes, and that is, <laughs> that is why we have such the you know, like the Southern Baptist Convention's report mm. that just came out about yeah. sexual abuse over the last, mm. you know, how many years yeah. in the in the church. It's because we they have built a system that allowed that to happen because they have told everybody, don't trust your body, don't trust mm. your intuitions, don't trust your bot your Yourself. your psyche mm -hmm. to tell you mm -hmm. when something's wrong and that you mm. need to run and that you need yeah. to push back. Mm -hmm. And so they've been able to just run over these people and, and mm -hmm. do with them what they want because, mm. you know, yeah. it's so, so tragic. Mm. Yes, yes, it definitely is. But um, thank you so much, Christopher, for coming You're on welcome. this show. I really enjoyed this. This was nice. Yeah, um, I enjoyed it too, Andrew. Um, yeah. I, I, hope that, uh, I hope that that your listeners will get some good stuff out of it and yeah um i would i would love to hear from anybody that wants to have mm -hmm. you know further conversation um i can you, give you my contact information there and you can put it in your show notes. oh yeah yeah i can definitely do that for yeah. people yeah so it's definitely but yeah thank you again christopher for coming on and everyone this was speaking up with andrew pledger this podcast is distributed by Anchor from Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Everything you need is in one space. Anchor has the tools to record, edit, and distribute your podcast. 
and it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to start creating your own podcast today. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Please support the show by sharing, donating, or leaving a review. Your support is much appreciated.